You're not gonna give up on me, are you? What do you mean? You're not gonna make a deal with that guy? I mean, I just wanna know. Thelma, I'm not making any deals. I mean, I don't understand if you're thinking about it. In a way, you got something to go back for. Jim and Jim is not an option. But, uh, I don't know, you know, something's, like, crossed over in me, and I can't go back. I mean, I just couldn't live. I know. I know what you mean. Anyway, don't want to end up on the damn Geraldo show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're charging us with murder. Ooh. Yeah, they say that we got to figure out if we want to come in dead or alive. Gosh. Did he say anything positive at all? Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 259, Thelma and Louise. As I was watching this, I found myself thinking that the listeners of this show might think that I'm basically Daryl, and you're like the truck driver. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Even though the reality is we're both Harvey Keitel, just pathetically desperate not wanting these two women to get shot (laughs) yeah you're like daryl in my head i'm like jimmy (laughs) but i'm actually just a guy that's not even on camera (laughs) as usual this didn't make the cut that's right (laughs) this is a movie that admittedly i'm pretty new to i watched it for the first time last year it's just one of those ones that i just never saw and knew everything about because as we were discussing before we started recording it just was pervasive like it just yeah it entered the pop culture lexicon you knew what the story was it was a reference point but when i saw it i knew immediately that i wanted to do it on the podcast i was in love with it it might be the only movie that i watched for the first time last year that i gave an immediate five stars to on letterboxd Oh, yeah. A first-time five-star wow. on Letterboxd. I don't know if there was any others that was, like, the first time seeing it. The first time I saw it was for film class in college, actually, and it was kind of broken up into different sections, and this was, like, feminist movies, basically. It, was, it right. had this and Silence of the Lambs in it. The different sections, obviously, it was spanning the history of film, so it wasn't uncommon to have a movie from, like, the 50s be a choice and then, like, 
a movie from the 90s, but I th- didn't Thelma and Louise and Silence of the Lambs come out in the same year? Yes. Wow. Yes, Pretty wild. Did. 1991. What a year it was. This is a movie that some people may overlook sometimes when talking about the career of Ridley Scott, the director, but I pretty much consider this to be among his best films, a top-tier Ridley Scott film, and it's one of our favorite genres, the the crime road movie. Yeah, one of the things that really struck me on rewatch was the scope of it feels way more epic than I remembered. Yeah. I think it's probably just like some of the locations that they could go to and building up to this finale at the Grand Canyon. Yeah. But I don't know, for some reason in, in my memory, while I enjoyed the movie, it felt smaller to me than it did this time. Like this felt much bigger. So before we jump into Thelma and Louise, let's remind our listeners to please follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. On there, you can give us a listener request, and you can request a sticker, which we will mail to you for free. Just slide into the old DMs or That's right. hit me up on there. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, or if you have the Podbean app or, or any other app that we may appear in. I'm not really sure of all of them. But if you're on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating and review. We'd love to see that. And you can find us on Letterboxd as well. Zach1983, Matt Crosby on there. We been, thank you uh, for listening. Trying to pick up the pace there this year, although I am starting to run out of juice a little bit. Yeah, well, now you're dipping your toe into my world and you're realizing it's not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of effort to be logging all those movies. Forever, I was like on this roll of, man, I never want to watch a TV series. It's just movies for me now. And now I'm just like, you know what? TV series are sounding pretty good. Yeah, because it just gives you those breaks. Yeah. You know where to take the breaks. They're shorter. That's right. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about TV when we get to recommendations in this episode. Sounds good. I think everyone who's been listening to the show recently has probably already heard me say that I think for 2022, we're pushing television to our mini-sode series. Give us a second. We'll talk about that more later. Thumb and Louise, written by Callie Curry, directed by Ridley Scott. I think everyone is familiar with Ridley Scott. Kelly Curry was the creator of the television show Nashville, which I was actually fairly into for a few seasons. <laughs> I kind of remember that, yeah. <laughs> Hayden Penetiere, Connie Britton. Right. I liked the first couple of seasons. It was a fun ABC show. I couldn't stick with it forever. They're hour-long episodes and over 20 episodes per season. It's a bit much. Yeah, I never watched it, but obviously was familiar with it. Never knew that it was the screenwriter from this movie who created <laughs> Why would that you show. Know that? Yeah, I you know, found that out doing my research for this episode. It was nominated for six Academy Awards. Best Film Editing for Tom Noble, Best Cinematography, Adrian Biddle. Yeah, so I was telling you, I mean, I just watched the streaming on HBO Max, and I definitely stand by that physical media usually looks better than streaming, but... I don't know if, if it's in the updated version, but the version that I watched streaming on HBO Max looked like incredible, and I found myself being like like wanting to look up other movies with this same cinematographer, which sometimes I'll do when I see something I'm like, wow, this looks like great. I wonder what else. Nothing really jumped out, though. Yeah, I have the Blu-ray, which is like the 20th anniversary, so you can do the math. The, that's already over 10 years old. Yeah, yeah. But the, I thought the Blu-ray still looked pretty good. I don't think it's been re-released on Blu-ray. To my knowledge. 
Best Director, Ridley Scott. And it was the most recent film to have two performers nominated in the same category of either Best Actress or Best Actor because both Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis were nominated for Best Actress. That's usually something way more common in the supporting actor or actress Yeah, that field. is uh, impressive to have, too. And it won Best Original Screenplay for Callie Curry. It was not nominated for Best Picture, oddly enough, although it did have the Best Director. Can you name... Mm, <laughs> this is a 0% no. chance, but I'll throw it out <laughs> yeah, there. Go anyway. ahead, please. Can you name any of the other times that two actresses were both nominated for Best Actress from the same film, and this would all predate 1991. Uh, Can you name even one of the three? Do you think that I should be able to, based on the list? Like, is there going to be one that... I I know for a fact you have seen at least one of these films, and I think you own the Blu-ray. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, nothing. One of them won Best Picture. At least one of them, maybe two of them. Okay. I can't remember. Starting in 1950 with All About Eve, Ann Baxter and Betty Davis. All right. Suddenly Last Summer. Oh, hell yeah. Catherine Hepburn and Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, yeah. I should have had that one. And in 1983, the year I was born, winner of Best Picture, Terms of Endearment, Shirley MacLaine, Deborah Winger. Boo. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Not a fan. Yeah. That was like a movie that like my mom mom was excited to rent when i was like a kid and i was like this stinks i would probably like watch it with like a completely different oh you'd be sobbing gaze now now. but yeah i definitely like it was one of those movies that my mom did rent and we watched and i was like this is a bore your mom's like (laughs) not into it yeah (laughs) the best picture nominees of 1991 were the silence of the lambs beauty and the beast bugsy jfk and the prince of tides um Hmm. yeah i think that (laughs) Thelma and Louise could have been in there over Bugsy or The Prince of Tides. Yeah, wow. I, I'm stunned to see Prince of Tides pop up there. I've never seen Bugsy. From all accounts, it should not have been nominated for a bunch of shit, which it was. I think they were still in that era of, well, Warren Beatty made a movie, and so it gets nominated for everything. Uh-huh. Prince of Tides is a good film. Would not have imagined it to be a Best Picture I like, type nominee. Um, I like Thelma and Louise as a Best Picture contender more than Gladiator, say. Well, they didn't come out the same year. No, so. I know. I'm just talking about Ridley Scott directorial efforts. <laughs> yeah, this was released, unfortunately, the same year that The Silence of the Lambs won all of the major categories, including Best, best Adapted actress, Screenplay. Right? Well, yeah, Best Actress, Actor, Picture, everything. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying for the two female leads. Right. So the fact that it was able to sneak in there, it won the other major award, which is an Original Screenplay. Yeah. The budget was $16.5 million, box office $45.4 million, so it was a, a pretty decent hit. But like I said, I think that it transcended the box office numbers. It just became one of those movies. As a kid, when this movie was released and not really knowing much about it, I could have easily thought that Thelma and Louise were real people. Sure. Much like Bonnie and Clyde or something That's like what that. It, it seems like it's playing off that. And everybody knew the ending. The ending was just out there i know it and it's pervasive in culture it was a reference point like a thelma and louise style ending everyone knew what that meant super weird too because i have no memory of what i would ever know that from but the first time i went to watch this movie which was college i felt like i knew it you see the title on paper it brings a vision to your mind you know what it is it ends up playing out but i have no memory of ever having a discussion or like knowing what yeah i know i, it was. I think it just was referenced on tv shows yeah 
jokes, whatever. I think just people knew it. And yeah, I, I think that there very well may have been a time where I thought it was a real story. I sure. don't know. Yeah. It was controversial upon its release for portraying men in a negative light. I think people were still a little bit blind and naive to the reality of the world. <laughs> Because I think if this movie came out now, they would say that it's almost too sympathetic to some of the male characters yeah. and it's not harsh enough. But it was critically acclaimed right out of the gate. It was a landmark of feminist film, one of the defining films of the 90s and one of the best from the storied career of Ridley Scott. I do think that if I had to only pick three Ridley Scott films, it would probably be Alien, Blade Runner, and this which is something that I would have never imagined before watching this film last year for the first time. Yeah, it's funny, and you had brought something a similar conversation up before the show, and I did find myself thinking about that, because number one and two with a bullet for me, and like no even thought would be Alien and Blade Runner, but I don't know what would have been next. This is certainly a, a contender for that third slot. I, I'd probably have to take a hard look, but nothing comes to mind. It's a part of the same genre as a Badlands or a Bonnie and Clyde or a Natural Born Killers or more recently Queen and Slim. I think that Scott watched Badlands a bunch of times to prepare for the film. But the story is unique because Corey set up a situation where she wanted to have two average, ordinary, everyday women who were not criminals and are put into a situation where it's the absurdity of the real world yeah. that forces them into this position. They don't want to commit crimes. Right. I think it's kind of unique to Thelma and Louise a little bit where they never really seem bad. Obviously, I understand that murder is bad. Certainly, Harlan deserves what he gets. And even... Thelma and armed robbery, it seems so innocent. I just think in some of the other movies that you see and feel some of the bad, even though you might be rooting as the characters as more anti-heroes. And Thelma and Louise, I'm like, never feeling like yeah, they're Yeah, villains. that's definitely the situation. It's, it's kind of similar to how things start out in like Queen and Slim. Okay, I still haven't seen that. But yeah, even in Badlands, you're like, well, Martin Sheen is a creep. And, and he's just kind of aimlessly killing people at a certain point yeah and i think even sissy spacex is supposed to be like young and it, it's just a creepy situation right. based off of like the real charles starkweather story and obviously it gets amped up to talk about the media's obsession in like natural born killers or something like that and bonnie and clyde of course are, are criminals too who are, are, right. are doing it out of boredom more than anything else this is something a little bit different. Callie Curry wrote the script in the late 80s. She was a, a music video producer. Oh. I think she finished the script in 88 and intended it to be a low-budget film directed by herself and then produced by fellow music video producer Amanda Temple, who actually is Juno Temple's mother. Oh. Temple then showed the script to her friend, Mimi Polk Gitlin, who you may have recognized from the credits, who ended up being a producer, who ran Ridley Scott's production company, who then read the script, and the rest is basically history. Scott liked it a lot. He wasn't really going to originally direct it, but he did purchase it. He had a few people in mind. None of them worked out. And then Michelle Pfeiffer convinced Scott to direct it himself. She, along with Jodie Foster, were originally cast in the film. Oh, wow. But pre-production dragged on so long that 
Pfeiffer dropped out to make a film called Love Field and Foster dropped out to make The Silence of the Lambs, it was sort of a rough beat for Michelle Pfeiffer because she also was Jonathan Demme's first choice for The Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> so she ends up not making The Silence of the Lambs, not making Thelma and Louise, then and making all a three, film called Love Field. All three of the lead roles of those two movies get nominated for Best Actress. Yeah, and Jodie Foster won right. for Silence of the Lambs. Love Field, she was nominated for, oh, okay. but it came out the next year. Yeah. But it's a movie that no one I, I was going to say, I, I don't remembers. even know what that is. Yeah. I, okay, I so. didn't know what it was either, but she evidently was nominated for it. After they drop out, Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep were attached briefly because they had wanted to make a film together for a long time. They ultimately make Death Becomes Her, That's which right. is a Mechas film, yep. which is a lot of fun. Absolutely. And it has a lot to say about aging and women and Hollywood and everything. It's its own little feminist piece of film but it was not particularly well received at the time probably because it's just it's sort of odd yeah i think it actually ages really well and it's yeah. more fun to watch now bruce willis with just one of the most over-the-top screams <laughs> right up there with like daniel stern from home alone right. where you're just like what in the world <laughs> <laughs> then finally gina davis and susan Sarandon come on board gina davis had been just desperate to get into this movie all along okay campaigning to be in it sarandon was a little bit more reluctant and she ends up having like a big influence on the film and a lot of input into her character and into stuff that happens in the film that i think elevates the project and she seemed to i think benefit a lot from ridley scott's style which is to always allow for input from the actors and input from people to make the project better of course she famously had worked with his brother tony scott on the uh vampire movie yeah the hunger that's right as i said it's the absurdity of this society to put these two average ordinary women into this position in the first place and i think that it's interesting to consider how this film plays in a pre me too world versus a post me too world ultimately I think you have to keep in mind that in 91, something like this was rare. It was an uncompromising validation of women's experiences from every angle, every step of the way, everything that happens in it. A lot of it is sexual harassment, but it even beyond the sexual harassment, not being taken seriously, not being believed, easily dismissed, relegated to afterthoughts, Oh yeah, being sort of confined to loveless marriages where they're just a housewife and they, they they can't really break out of that and do anything yeah even louise there's like a sadness there with the michael madsen character that the big goal is just that he's going to finally break down and be interested in marrying her yeah it's a lot of unfulfilled potential unfulfilled promise and broken dreams like that kind of a a thing definitely you would definitely say of the two, the Thelma character, it's almost like an awakening for this whole journey. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a, a lot of notes. I mean, it's, okay. it's basically her metamorphosis. Yeah, She's yeah. She's like a, a butterfly. There's almost like a double turn, even. <laughs> Neither of them are ever heels, but Thelma goes from like a baby face to like a tweener. No, I think it's... <laughs> All right, you're going a little overboard with the wrestling <laughs> analysis. I think 
it, it doesn't have anything to do with like us perceiving them as good guys or bad guys. It's more she comes out of her shell. Well, absolutely. And awakens, which she actually says in one of my favorite little scenes, and I may use that as the opening if I can, where she talks about, I've crossed over. Like, I can't go back now. Louise, on the other hand, is more coming back down to earth as this right. get, as she realizes yeah, yeah. this is only going to end one way that there's no real hope for a happy ending and she I starts think she spiraling starts to feel kind of remorseful about that actually like what did i drag us into yeah and i do think that regardless of how you feel about harlan the character there is some discussion you can have about that scene and, oh, and for what sure. happened and how they react to that scene i totally get where she's coming from, and and I think that it's interesting that they never fully give you the, the whole story. Backstory. Yeah, you yeah. just can sort of piece it together. But this is the era of another Jodie Foster film, The Accused. There were a lot of scenarios where, yes, the world still sucks now, but it's gotten a little bit better by I would 2020. Say. A I, little I think bit. So. Yeah. And so, like, I, I think back then, the whole concept of she was asking for it, she wanted it, that still goes on today in sure. certain sections of the country more than others. But back then, that was just a given. Even if you were going to win at court, you were going to be humiliated and torn down. And your character would be questioned and dragged through the mud. It was a, an awful experience to go through stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And so it, it makes sense why Luis reacts the way she does. But she even points out herself. They were walking away, Absolutely. it was over, and she yeah. turned and shot someone over a thing that he said, which That's was a right. shitty thing to say, but, yeah. you know, it's a scene that you can kind of get into the the nitty-gritty of and sort of break it down and be like, well, what actually happened? How would this play out? Would they tell the truth if they were in a scenario? Would they not? They seem to want to choose to not even have to lie about it, just to not even have to deal with it at all. What would Thelma's role be if that would have been the only crime? I think that's maybe why they they add in the other stuff later to make her more of a part of it. It's not as black and white as you might think, even though it is a feminist film. The audience is clearly on their side, as they should be. But it's not just she shoots a guy in the process of raping her friend. It's after the fact. What makes it more interesting. Yeah. So let's get into it. I don't think we're going to get too crazy with it because it's a lot of driving and a lot of talking. I don't want to like recreate every conversation that they have, but there's some. Although I will say, I love the locations that they go to. Every diner, I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, they in... actually did not film this in any of the states that they say that they're in, <laughs> but it looks incredible. Oh, yeah. I don't know how they're trying to convince us that New Mexico looks like the way that it does in this movie, I don't but. Know. All these places that they're stopping at just on the side of the. There's just like. Apparently, just like sheds on the side of the road that you can like wash at, <laughs> you know. It's like what? Where are these places in the desert? Yeah, I guess. I guess. <laughs> yeah, they actually filmed this pretty much exclusively in California and Utah. Mm-hmm. But the stuff in Utah all looks unbelievable, and there's definitely some standout moments that we'll talk about when we get there. So we have best friends Thelma Dickinson, played by Gina Davis, and Louise Sawyer, played by Susan Sarandon. They are average, if not dull lives in Arkansas. Thelma is somewhat meek, naive, a little ditzy, a housewife married to an overbearing man named Daryl. It's a prison, this life that she's involved in. Obviously, the husband overbearing, but beyond that, got married at a young age, 
lives in this house is just at this house all day and basically lives to like make dinner, dinner for her yeah. husband. Daryl's played by Christopher McDonald, who wow, a lot of our listeners may know as Shooter McGavin. Really, from Happy Gilmore, two world class douche performances. <laughs> He's a real horse's ass. Yeah, just unbearable. <laughs> Louise, on the other hand, is an extroverted waitress, sharp-tongued and more savvy than her friend. Yeah, seems a little bit more worldly, I guess, than Thelma. She's worldly and world-weary. Like, right. she's seen it all and a little bit more jaded. Yeah, true. It's interesting because Thelma, you would say, has it a little rougher. She doesn't have the same freedom in her life, but she doesn't seem as jaded about it. I think Absolutely. that comes out. I think it, she's good at hiding it yeah i mean it's there but it it has to come out during this fateful journey louise almost feels like i can't believe that i'm just a waitress at this diner and this is just my life whereas thelma it doesn't seem like is even aware that there's other lives out there yeah she's a little too timid to even try to replicate her friend's life which is probably as wild as she could even imagine (laughs) yeah because she doesn't have a husband to answer to she's going to a place like the double deuce on a friday night yeah, well, they do go to a place yeah. that is like the double deuce. That's pretty much what I have written down. Luis is dating an easygoing musician named Jimmy, played by Michael Madsen, who spends most of his time on the road. Thelma and Louise are planning to set out for a weekend vacation at a fishing cabin in the mountains. It's a nice little two-day getaway, although it seems to mean the world to Thelma, who... I don't know if this can be emphasized enough, has nothing to look forward to, just nothing going on. It's actually miraculous that she doesn't have children. And they do address that later. Mm -hmm. And she almost is like regretful in a sense that she wanted to have kids. But honey, (laughs) not to turn into a sexist, but honey, come on. You don't want to have kids with Daryl. No. Just because Daryl says he's too much of a kid himself... We don't need any more of that in the world. Yeah, that's a good thing that you haven't handcuffed yourself to being a part of his life forever. I guess the idea of divorce is just so foreign to her, but you can still kind of back out of this at some point. Right. No matter how long it goes on. I mean, Daryl could die. Yeah. Hello. Hey, how you doing, little housewife? Y'all packed? We're out of here tonight. Well, wait now. I still have to ask Daryl if I can go. You mean you haven't asked him yet? Tell him, for God's sake. Is he your husband or your father? It's just two days, for God's sake. Don't be a child. Tell him you're going with me. Tell him I'm having a nervous breakdown. They don't care much weight with Daryl. I already think you're already in mind. Are you at work? No, I'm calling from the Playboy Mansion. Clear right back. Daryl. Number one. Daryl. Honey, better hurry up. And this is my clue. With my nose, I look like the WC field of God damn it, Thelma. Don't holler like that. I've not told you I can't stand it when you holler in the morning. I'm sorry, doll. I just didn't want you to be late. Thank you. Uh, have a good day at work today. Uh-huh. Jeez. 
think you know. Hon? What? You want anything special for dinner tonight? No, Thelma, I don't give a shit what we have for dinner. I may not even make it home for dinner. You know how Fridays are. Yeah, funny how so many people want to buy a carpet on a Friday night. You'd almost think they'd want to forget about it for the weekend. Well then, it's a good thing you're not regional manager. And I am. Luis even points out, Daryl is your husband, not your father. Like, you don't need to tiptoe around him and ask permission for things. But Thelma just chooses to avoid asking permission altogether and just right. leaves a note instead. she knows it's going to be a no. Yeah. There's that funny little moment when Daryl is leaving for work and they ha- they're having the construction done on their house and he just falls. <laughs> that was not scripted. Okay. And... Ridley Scott just like let it roll and he and he stays in character and everything and then they decided to use it because it was funny. I know it it feels right for the character because he's just sort of embarrassing himself at all times. Thelma packs a gun though for their little trip, which ends up being its own little yeah and moment kind of unexpected. Now they explain it away that well we're gonna be out in the woods, who knows like bears or whatever. Yeah. It's, and that Daryl bought her the gun because she's alone a lot. Because God knows, if you're a carpet salesman, <laughs> you're just living that hustle bustle life. Oh, you're never right. at home. Well, and I feel like there's uh, some implication, <laughs> yeah. you know, right? Yeah. But it's like, how is that? How can that be? Daryl's such a cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> Selling carpet. I mean, Mustache. Yeah. <laughs> that hair, the <laughs> Kenny Powers hair. <laughs> Luis picks up. Thelma in a 1966 Thunderbird convertible. I think having this much of a conspicuous car ends up working against them, but it's cool looking. It is a cool ass car. Seems a little bit crazy that a waitress at a diner drives a car like this, but maybe this is just where her money has gone. We know that she has a little stash of money. It's she's possible been that she, it's just something that she's had and then restored. And that's true. I think things were Passion easier project. back then, 30 years ago. Sure. Yeah, if you were buying that brand new cherry from like a collector, it would probably be expensive. But I think people probably just had that stuff. American cars used to last a lot longer, That's too. True. So I think that she's kept it in like great shape, but it's possible that she's had it for a long time. I think so. That's okay. On the way to the cabin, the women stop at a roadhouse-style bar, a real... Shit kicker, honky tonk, a la the double deuce. That's right. The band's not playing behind a fence. (laughs) Yeah, but one wonders, though, if Dalton would have been there, if he could have prevented what happens next from happening. Did you write anything down about this band playing at this bar? No. The guy that's like the lead singer like looks like Matt Dillon. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I don't think it's him. No, no, it's it's not. But he looks a lot like him. It's sort of like a line dancing type place. They're more of like a, a country rock type band. A little bit bluesy. Sure. Probably not as bluesy as... Jeff Healy band? Yeah, not quite to that level, but similar. It's very crowded. A lot of people there. And there's a flirtatious stranger named Harlan who makes a beeline for Thelma at the table. I guess probably both of them. They're two women by themselves, but 
film was the one that's more receptive to it. Luis is shutting it down immediately. This doesn't seem like it's that atypical for Harlan, something that's confirmed by the waitress immediately. Yes. He has a reputation. Seems like he's married, but fucks a lot of women from the bar. Seems like mostly unlikable. Not a lot of people are shedding tears later. No. (laughs) The waitress in particular. Yeah. There's a weird moment, though, when Thelma's like, I had an uncle named Harlan, and Harlan's like, was he a funny uncle? Yeah, I was like, well, what does that mean? I think you know what it means. (laughs) He calls himself a funny uncle, doesn't he? Well, he says funny like me, I think. He's basically like, I molest all my nieces and nephews. Yeah, really. In case you didn't get it. Harlan is vile. It's all fun and games, though, for Thelma. It plays into her naivete. She's completely different from Luis at this stage in the film. Luis sees through guys like this, although she is sort of willing to let Thelma have some fun because she knows that Thelma is very sheltered, has only ever been with one man who she's been with since she was 14. Who everyone kind of collectively hates. Yeah, especially Luis. So she doesn't put her foot down. She sort of frowns, disproving of what's going on. Right, right. But she knows that guys like Harlan are just trying to get in your panties and out. And oh, absolutely. It's, it's just a little game, but she probably doesn't see it as like that immediate of a threat. Harlan seems like a complete sleaze, too. The drinks are flowing, the band is playing, and Thelma dances with Harlan, while Louise is skeptical of the whole scene. This whole move that he's doing where he's like continuing to spin her around... Yeah, he's trying to really disorient her. Yeah, it just seems wild. I mean, I feel like like two spins, I would be like, all right, enough of that. I know that we're When you're dancing to- with Harlan <laughs> at the roadside yeah. I'm not falling for this. <laughs> it's weird, because he has to spin her like so many times, and then she's like completely dizzy. I-, I feel like I would be like, this needs to stop like right away. They had to cast certain actors that could look right with Gina Davis, because she's so tall. Oh, right. Like, obviously, they're not going to cast you. No. <laughs> she would just pick you up and put you in her pocket. <laughs> I mean, she is a tall lady. Yeah, yeah. She would just, like, throw me through a table. <laughs> Ready to leave, Luis goes to the restroom, and then Harlan takes Thelma outside to the parking lot under the guise of getting her fresh air when she's dizzy. It is true, though. Anytime Luis leaves Thelma alone with a man, it's never good. That's true. Most of the men in this movie are not particularly great. Correct. When she, meaning Thelma, resists Harlan, he tries to rape her until Luis intervenes, threatening to shoot him with the gun Thelma packed. As the women walk away, Harlan says, Bitch, I should have gone ahead and fucked her. It seems like an insane thing to do. (laughs) I guess he's mad that his plan got busted up, but unless he's like seriously believing there's no way this lady's going to shoot me, but... If someone just held a gun to, like, my neck, yeah, I don't think I'd be talking shit afterwards. Luis responds, what did you say? And Harlan says, I said, suck my cock. Which Luis really shoots him said. in the chest in a fit of rage. Yeah. So she does rescue her friend from being raped, although the murder, the, the killing happens after they are sort of safely away and could just as easily get to the car and leave. We later learn that Luis's own past trauma probably impacted this situation and and how she reacted to it. And it it does add a little bit of a gray area to the film where you can 
get into those kind of conversations as to like what should their move be here yeah i think like the first instinct is to be like look we could easily manipulate how this played out to like a self-defense situation well manipulate makes it sound like more underhanded than it even is well yeah i think just sort of push the narrative in that direction it's not a bridge too far yeah it it is what happened it slightly there was a, a moment reprieve of right we could have just gotten away gotten out of the situation and we didn't it seems like look it's the two of us a serious situation was about to go down it basically was Luis swooping in for the save with a gun so you're thinking that they could just explain this to the police which later we'll find out it seems like that's what Harvey Keitel would have wanted them to do yeah and I think that you could say that the waitress seems like she could be a witness on their behalf. Absolutely. Because she knows of Harlan's reputation and everything. But there's no way that they would know that any of that is going to happen. True. Some people, it was a definite minority, but some people did point this out and sort of accuse the film of being almost anti-feminist for portraying the women as making bad decisions and panicking at the first sign of anything. But I don't, I don't really agree with that. I totally get what the idea is here they know how the world usually works and louise again we don't get the specifics of it but there's a lot of insinuation that there was a situation with her and maybe people weren't really believing her story in the immediate aftermath of the shooting there is panic thelma wants to go to the police but louise fears that no one will believe a claim of attempted rape since thelma was drinking and dancing with harlan Thelma tries to call Daryl that night. We later find out it's like at four in the morning and there's no answer and he's not home yet. So that is your implication. When she was using that against him, I was like, well, he could just be sleeping. No, the idea is they show you that the note and the food is still at the microwave. Right. But from Thelma's perspective. No, I know. Yeah. (laughs) Arkansas State Police Investigator Hal Slocum, played by Harvey Keitel, is introduced Back at the crime scene, we know that Harlan is among the dearly departed as they're zipping him up into a yeah. body bag. Harvey Keitel not quite reprising his role from Bad Lieutenant here. <laughs> a much more redeeming police figure. There's not much more than a physical description of the two women at first. Eventually, they're going to bring in the FBI to get involved because they are assuming that these women are going to cross state lines it's a little bit of a summarized depiction of law enforcement you just sort of have to roll with it right i did have some questions at first and we'll get to that later but they do eventually get answered but they don't necessarily show you everything at first so you're like well how the fuck is he doing this and that and i had all these questions and then they later explain it and you're like oh okay i guess but we'll get there Luis manages to get a hold of Jimmy, and he's going to send money via Western Union. It's $6,700. It's her life savings, the details of which are a little bit confusing. I don't. It doesn't really factor in anything. I think the 6700 is actually his money, but then she's supposed to pay him back or oh, okay. something like that. Like, I don't think I picked up on that. Well, he would have no way to get her money. That's and true. She says that yeah, on the right, phone. Right. But, and then she's like, I'll pay you back. or I, I don't know. It's not really important. You just have to take that the money is her life savings. It Although doesn't if you're really matter. Jimmy, and I know he's into Louise, but she did just flee the state, and he really has no idea where she's going from there. Or what's happening. Right.
boys. I'm getting mad. Okay, but where are we going? Oklahoma City. Jimmy's gonna wire me some money, and then we're gonna Jimmy. see where we're going. You talked to him? Did you tell him? What'd he say? Is he mad? No, I didn't tell him, and that's what we gotta get straight now. Daryl's been calling mad as a horn and making all kinds of noise, and when you call him, you gotta not tell him anything about this. You gotta just make sure everything sounds real normal. No, I called that asshole at 4 o'clock in the morning. He wasn't even home. I don't know what he's got to be mad about. I'm the one who should be mad. Thelma, I'm going to Mexico. Now, I figure I can make it in two and a half days, but I'm going to have to haul ass. Are you up to this? I mean, I got to know. This isn't a game. I'm in deep shit, and I got to know what you're going to do. I don't know. I don't know, Louise. I mean, uh, I don't know what you're asking. Now, don't you, don't you start flaking out on me. God damn it, Thelma. Every time we get in trouble, you just get blank or, or, or plead insanity or some such shit. Not this time. I mean, this time, things have changed. Everything's changed. But I'm going to Mexico. I'm going. The couple decide to flee to Mexico, but Luis refuses to travel through Texas as something happened to her there that she will not reveal. So this complicates their journey further because they start out in Arkansas and the fastest way to get to Mexico would be to cut through Texas, but now they got to go all the way around. Yeah, Thelma's really pointing it out that this doesn't seem like the right move here based on what they're looking at. Do you really want to add this amount of time to how long it's going to take us? Yeah, but Thelma doesn't really know what's going on at this stage in the movie she's still just doing whatever exactly Luis says Luis gets the info regarding the wire transfer from jimmy they're gonna get this done in oklahoma city so now they've crossed into oklahoma they're heading west thelma calls daryl again and it, it goes about as well as could be expected oh i'd say so <laughs> yes just so mad but this <laughs> it sets up the funniest part of the entire movie, a part that right. I was rewinding and laughing at because it was this so funny. One of their later phone interactions? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I want you to call Daryl. Call him? Mm-hmm. Tell him you're having a wonderful time and you'll be home tomorrow night. Will I be? I don't know. I won't. Ah, the newspaper. Last night was the dead gum fullback. And Witherspoon had a great play. Watch this right here. He just outruns us here, and we just don't pick him up. And, and he just makes Here's a Darryl. good play. Gets down the scoring position. And uh, they pop a couple of Well, yes, I will, up, Brady. Probably as big a play came. When we've been blitzing. We blitz a lot. Thelma! Where in the Sam hell are you? Um, I'm uh, with Louise. We're, uh, we're in the mountains. We're fishing. Have you lost your mind? Is that it? Now, I leave for work, and you take complete leave of your senses. Daryl, calm down, please. Don't get so mad. I can explain, okay? See, Louisa. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Dancing him, Oh, come on, Kurt. Pick it. Kurt gets it, knocks the ball loose. Chad Rowley's got it. Kurt's got it. We end up with the ball. So they get no points out of it at a time of Daryl. Christ. 
we're just gonna stay there and you know fish and hang out and stuff and we'll just be gone one more day and, and then we'll be home tomorrow night no you won't you'll be back today you get your butt back here thelma now god damn it Daryl, you're my husband, not my father. Oh, now that does it. That Louise is nothing but a bad influence. If you're not back here by tonight, Thelma. Well then, I just don't want to say. Daryl. Thelma. Go fuck yourself. Oh, that's good. That's just sweet. Thelma bumps into a young and gorgeous cowboy named JD, <laughs> played by Brad Pitt. And you're like, how is this guy not a star? And then it's like, oh, well, I guess he's about to be. Luis shuts down the idea of a potential ride that, that JD's asking around for, even though Thelma clearly wants to make it happen. Pitt auditioned for the role of the hustler JD, but initially didn't get it. The part originally went to Billy Baldwin, of all people. Oh, wow. This was a huge trade-up. Pitt eventually secured the role after Baldwin dropped out to shoot Backdraft. Huh. Which is another big 90s movie, one that gets talked about probably even less than Thelma and Louise. But Backdraft was like a big movie. Yeah. And yet you never and really it hear also, about it. Also, it, it was one of those ones that would get referenced in things. Yeah, it, it was big. I've seen it once, but that was a long time ago. I don't know that I ever have. George Clooney, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo, Grant Show, John Mellencamp. Whoa. Dylan McDermott, James LeGrow, Dermot Mulroney were also all considered for the part. But Gina Davis significantly influenced the decision to pick Pitt for J.D., they were about to pass on him because the scene didn't go well. Because okay. she was flubbing her lines because she thought he was that hot. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so they were like, oh, well, this scene's worthless. Like, well, let's just move on to someone else. Like, they didn't really get what was happening. They just didn't think there was good chemistry or something. And she then was she like, goes, this is why it's good. Yeah, she's like, the blonde one, you idiots. <laughs> she was like, come on, really? Yeah. <laughs> and this was like a breakout star making performance for Brad Pitt. This was before even True Romance. And the 90s obviously would be a, a big time for him. Absolutely. So what I was referring to earlier with Hal and the investigation and everything is that the third time we see Harvey Keitel after he's like talking to his su superior officer and then they're like, okay, we have to bring in the FBI. The third time is he's on his computer and he's scrolling through all of the people that are registered with 1966 Thunderbirds. Okay. As you're watching this in a linear way, because mm -hmm. eventually this is explained, but you're like, what the fuck? The waitress made a point to say, I didn't get a look at their car. Right. This is what they look like. That's all you see. So I was thinking, how the fuck does he know what car they were driving? He's just like an incredible detective. And they just move on from that for a while, and the investigation is ramping up, and you just sort of have to like assume that... They got more information that you didn't see or anything. And what do they tell you? That some unknown witness saw them fleeing the scene in that kind of car? Yeah. Later, well, later the he'll, yeah. there's a line where he says, eyewitnesses saw the car leaving the scene and, and then speeding out of the parking Eyewitnesses. Lot. I got to tell you, it didn't seem like there were a lot of people in that lot when this happened. 
there were other people driving by, but I don't know True. how you would find them because they they remember they burst out into traffic and people are like honking at them. And by the way, regardless of what happened in any crime scene that I witnessed, I would never be able to tell you what kind of car it was that left. <laughs> I would be like, it, it was a van or a sedan or something like that. I don't That's know, like- Chip, an '89 rapist. <laughs> Did you get the make and model? <laughs> but anyway, Hal is breaking into Luis's apartment once he's narrowed it down. He's like piecing it all together. He has identified Luis at this point, which won't take long to identify Thelma. As the ladies are driving, they re-encounter JD. It's something that I never really think to question, but I guess he got a ride somewhere and then is dropped off again. I don't know how they re-encounter him. Oh, right. Because it doesn't yeah. seem like it would have been that far down the road. That so. was causing me to scratch my head, too. Because it almost seemed like they even go the opposite direction from him. But Yeah, I don't know. But they just do. Really just dynamite Gina Davis doing these like dog noises as they drive by. <laughs> yeah, like she's a begging she's puppy. She's like whimpering. <laughs> and so Luis relents to allow Thelma to have a little fun. In the meantime, Hal back in arkansas meets daryl mm-hmm. and i think he gets a pretty good idea of that dynamic right away <laughs> daryl is just such a piece of work oh yeah he's like stepping in that pizza like right. sandals <laughs> just like such a loser well without thelma around it's become quite the little disaster bachelor pad yeah his whole world comes crashing down as the movie goes along and yet you never really get the sense that he cares that much about Thelma, but he's more concerned with himself. My world is going to suck now. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not Thelma. The amount of times that anything could be going on with this investigation and he's like trying to see what's going on in a football game. I mean, that's multiple times. Thelma, Louise, and JD arrive in Oklahoma City, and Jimmy surprises Louise by delivering the money in person. Peaches. The two spend the night together at the motel, and Luis turns down Jimmy's marriage proposal. Meanwhile... <laughs> Man, Jimmy, his meltdown in this hotel room is pretty great, just throwing everything off the table. Meanwhile, Thelma's supposed to have said her goodbyes to JD, but actually ends up inviting him into her room when he comes back in the rain. She is slowly, but surely, shedding her timid housewife bit fully, and then fucks him. She also learns that he is a thief who has broken parole. Something that doesn't disturb her or bother her in any way. No, she's definitely all in. So in one room you have Jimmy and Louise. It's definitely like a Green Day song, Boulevard of Broken Dreams going on in here. <laughs> Just a lot of regret. I don't think Jimmy is a bad guy. No, no. But their dynamic is very much what you were saying, where Louise is realizing that She's probably about 40 years old, and who knows what has happened to her beyond even the Texas story, but just whatever has brought her to this point. I don't know if she's been married before or what, but now she's in a position where she's waiting for this guy to decide that he wants to marry her, and and now that he feels like he might be losing her, he conveniently has a ring. And it definitely screams panic move. Yeah. There was a lot more initially in the script where they have a love scene and then have a mock wedding and everything. And, oh, wow. and Susan Sarandon was like, no, no, this is not yeah. working. You'd have to add in scenes of me like having a breakdown or something. So they didn't do it. I think it makes more sense. It, it, there's much more of a melancholy feel to it. 
where I think that she does have feelings for Jimmy as oh, he sure. does for her, but yeah. it's just not going this to is, happen. Uh, our moment has passed us by type scenes. Well, there's no going back for her, and for sure. she doesn't tell him what's going on. He never knows what what's exactly is happening. Which is frustrating for him. He's vocal about that. Yeah. He thinks that maybe she's in love with someone else, but of course we know that it's it's much deeper than that. This guy is definitely a Madsen role, though. Sometimes you can like put your finger on a character and be like, yeah, Michael Madsen's going to play this guy. Yeah, it's a little bit of a, a Reservoir Dogs, I, I want to say precursor because i think reservoir dogs really hadn't come out yet yeah i I wouldn't think with harvey keitel and madsen in this movie meanwhile in the other room with jd and thelma it's sort of a reversal of what we were used to and what still we're mostly used to where jd is the the female eye candy shirtless looking like a million bucks (laughs) you know changing movies forever absolutely at that point What'd you do? I'm a robber. You're a bank robber? No. No. I don't rob no banks. Come on. What'd you rob? Hmm. Well, let's see. Let's add it up here. I, uh, robbed a gas station, a couple convenience stores, liquor stores. Oh, my God. (laughs) How? Well, see, first you pick your place, right? Uh-huh. Then I just sit back and I watch it for a little while. Wait for that right moment to make my move, see? Mm-hmm. That's, that's something you got to know up here. That shit cannot be taught. Oh, and God. then, uh... Oh, shit, I don't want to talk about this. What? Like, dear. All right. Then I'd... Waltz right in. Yep. Then I just kind of waltz on in, and I'd say, Ladies... Gentlemen, let's see who wins the prize for keeping their cool. Simon says, everybody down on the floor. Now, nobody loses their head, then nobody loses their head. Uh, you, sir. Yeah, you do the honors. Take that cash you put in that bag right there. You got an amazing story to tell your friends. If not, well, you got a tag on your toe. You decide. Simple as that. Then I just slip on out. And, uh, get the hell out of Dodge, yeah. Mm-hmm. My goodness, you were sure genuinely about it. Well, now, I've always believed that done properly, armed robbery doesn't have to be a totally unpleasant experience. <laughs> what? You're a real life outlaw, aren't you? Well, I may be an outlaw, darling, but uh, you're the one stealing my heart. Oh, it's smooth. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's smooth. Isn't it? Yeah. That's right. Get that way. <laughs> He runs through his whole robbery routine, which I think is like a great way to set up what happens later in the film. I think everything they do with the robbery is awesome. The way they show it to us, everything about it is is great. Yeah, but this is kind of like her tutorial. Yeah. I heard that Ridley Scott thought that they might have to get like a body double, even though there's really not like explicit like nudity per se, but Gina Davis wanted to do it. Ultimately, I think the sex scene is somewhat shorter than you would think. I would agree. It's kind of it has this big it reputation. Starts, it starts like it's gonna be a long build, but then it's just sort of over in a flash. 
you would think that there would be more of like the soft lighting and like the saxophone, like an eighties sex yeah. scene or something. The billowing Take curtains. My Breath Away starts playing. Yeah, it, it never really goes there and I get that a lot of the reputation is carried because it's a, a breakout performance from Brad Pitt. At the time, you weren't really getting like a lot of nudity from men in general. So just the fact that he's shirtless and looks incredible is like a big deal. And that's what's memorable about it. Yeah. But it carries with it the reputation that you think that this is going to be like a full on passionate scene that goes on for like a few minutes. And it really isn't. Right. It's, it's very brief, like once they actually start. But the following morning... Thelma is a changed woman, just on cloud nine. <laughs> but first we see a sad Jimmy depart before Thelma and Louise discover that JD has stolen Louise's life savings oh. and fled. So, okay. This is probably my biggest thing with this movie. Uh-huh. And I was really explaining what my problem is with it with you before we started recording. Yes. So we see a brief moment once... Luis gets the cash from Jimmy, the 6700 where she is in Thelma's room. At this point, JD is gone. He has right. not come back yet. And Luis says, here's the money. Hang on to it. And then basically goes to be with Jimmy in the yeah. other room. Although the fact that there's two rooms wasn't part of the plan. So I'm thinking she's- Jimmy l- says, can I get another room? Right. Because uh, of, uh, presumably he had already checked in. Yes. I'm thinking she's leaving it in her room, though. She's not leaving it in Thelma's room. She's leaving it in both of their room. Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to say. That's the only way you could interpret this, but that also doesn't really make sense. (laughs) The question is, why does she just leave the money with Thelma? It does seem like not the smartest move. Right. And you were pushing the idea that like Thelma's not trustworthy or that she's... not, Not that she's not trustworthy, but that she just isn't with it enough sometimes. Like She isn't as... Right. But that's not even what I mean, because it doesn't matter. But that matter. has to be there, too. It doesn't really matter what Thelma's like. Okay. It doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make sense that she isn't going to keep the money with her. Now, what you just said is the only explanation, which is the second room is for Thelma and Luis, and the first room is just for Jimmy, but clearly that's not what's going to happen. Come on, Luis. Think about it. It's Jimmy. We're not virgins here. <laughs> we know what the fuck goes on. Like, come on. <laughs> You're gonna okay. So you, your girlfriend, and her friend are at a hotel. Uh huh. You get two rooms. What are you expecting? You're expecting the friend to be by themselves. Sure. And you're with your girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Like it just come on. But what? I, well, it's yeah. But it's Louise. She's doing it to herself. She's the one that's like, I leave the money in mine and Thelma's room. I have this out. I'm not gonna get caught up in this whole situation with Jimmy. But she immediately <laughs> goes over there. Yeah. And so I guess you could say she just leaves her purse because, okay, she should just put it in her purse, but it's not even in her purse. You're right. I, it does The cash seem is nuts. just laying on a bedside table. It should just be on her at all times. Going to Jimmy's room, even if she's thinking I'm going back. She knows she's sleeping in Jimmy's room. So okay. just take all of your yeah. stuff over there. Give me a goddamn right. break. <laughs> yes. It ends up feeling like it's definitely constructed for the story. There is the explanation which we have now offered, which is that, in theory, the one hotel room is for her and Thelma, and then one room is for Jimmy. But we just know that that's not how it's going to play out. I just think as soon as Thelma showed up at the diner or wherever they're eating breakfast in the morning, if I was Luis, I would have started to panic even before I got the whole story about JD. Because I would be like, well, where's the money right now? Like, the fact that you don't have it with you is a problem even. 
Yeah, a little bit. Because they're kind of staying at a shady motel. Yeah, yeah. Who knows what the maid would do or, or whatever. You never know. There could be a Gone Girl situation. <laughs> yeah. So JD is gone with the money. Luis starts her breakdown and in her transformation where she's hitting a wall of frustration with the world and it's all crashing down at the same time that Thelma's experiencing her sexual awakening, which even though she had sex with someone who double-crossed her, it still ends up being beneficial to her character. She Absolutely. just is completely different Yes, now. yes. She has all of this confidence. She She's- even says... Before the money reveals, she's like, oh, I finally see what all the fuss is about. (laughs) Just a complete burial of Daryl. You know that she's never had an orgasm or anything before. Yes. Just a real sad scene. When Luis unloads on Thelma, I do find myself 100% just being on Luis's side. Even if it was short-sighted by her to leave the money with Thelma, it's like, dude, how could you not like at least try to do something to protect almost seven thousand dollars yeah i don't even really think she like really lays into her that much she's pretty angry but thelma's pretty quick to be like it's fine i mean louise is like it's not fine none of this is fine like what are we gonna do for money rely on our good looks or whatever which i was like yeah i mean if you came up to a gas station that i was working at and didn't have money to pay for gas i would be like just take it (laughs) yeah well thelma's got a new plan yes she does and there is a bit of a role reversal where Thelma ends up taking charge a little bit because she's turning into a take charge kind of gal. And she ends up robbing a convenience store using the very same tactics she learned from listening to JD. And the way this scene is presented to the viewer via the security footage that the cops and Daryl are watching is so perfect. It's great. Because we only see it from Luis waiting in the car, unaware of what Thelma's doing, and then... Thelma comes running out, drive, like, drive, 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 yeah, drive. Yeah. and she's got all this money, and you, you're like, oh, she robbed this convenience store, and then it cuts to them watching the security footage, and she's verbatim repeating everything JD said, right. and Daryl's reaction to it is just unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> it's really actually a good performance from Christopher McDonald, who, outside of Happy Gilmore, I wasn't like really super familiar with. He pops up and stuff. I've seen him. And you stuff. recognize him. Yeah. Yeah. But this is really like a noteworthy role. It's actually like a fun reveal for the movie in general because Daryl, the police, like every story about Thelma is like, there's no way that she was involved in this crime. Yeah. And then it's like everyone collectively watching her rob a friggin' convenience store. Yeah, but the added layer to that is that she's doing it in the style that JD told her, which is just being like super polite. And she doesn't seem like mad or mean, but she is pointing a gun. Like it's just an odd Nobody situation. Nobody lose their heads and no one will lose their head. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Hal's ongoing investigation. We're introduced to Max, played by Stephen Tobolowski. Oh yeah. Who has oddly popped up in plenty of movies that we've talked That's about. True. Groundhog Day, most notably, but also Basic Instinct. Basic Instinct, single white female. Lots of stuff. He was definitely a big-time character actor. He's just one of those guys. Besides Groundhog Day, he's probably most known for Memento, I would say. Okay. Yeah. He was like, what's what's his name? Like, something Jenkins? Mm. Yeah, I can't remember. You know, Memento, that conversation's for another time. But Yeah, really. Yeah. It's interesting that in Curry's script, 
and how things play out, there is definitely a choice to make Hal a sympathetic character. He's he's definitely empathetic to the the plight of Thelma and Louise, which is repeated to us plenty of times over many different examples. The authorities end up in a situation here in the aftermath of this convenience store robbery where they can question Jimmy, Daryl, and even JD, who they catch with the cash. Again, this is one of those things similarly to how he knows about the 66 Thunderbird where they're really only able to catch JD based off of luck because they show Jimmy a bunch of mug shots, which, okay, I don't know how they even put together that the person that was with them was like someone who had been arrested before. Oh, okay. I was thinking that JD got arrested and then as part of what was going on, they asked Jimmy if this was like the same guy or something like they had gotten the story from Jimmy. No, they match it from the mug shots, okay. which is a whole other thing, which is possible, but it seems to be happening at a speed that would probably be unlikely. Right. Like it would need to take longer than this. Yeah. Because who even knows where JD is at that point, but they catch him very quickly. Plus they tap into the phone line at Thelma and Daryl's house and they set up shop there essentially that's where a lot of this is operating out of. Just waiting for a call to come in so they can trace it. They've sort of pieced together all that has happened, but the robbery has changed things because it's it's turned into a crime spree rather than one murder. Mm-hmm. I do think that to warrant the response that we see by the end of the film, that I think typically there would probably have to be more than one body Uh, along the way. I would agree with that. It goes a little overboard. Yeah. Considering how many murders there are in the world and and the fact that maybe... Most of them don't lead to like helicopter chases with like sniper rifles. Especially when it's, you know, not a woman that was murdered. It's Harlan. A douche. Yeah, I don't know how many people are crying over Harlan at this point. In fact, you know, they pulled the people from that bar. And most of them were like, yeah. <laughs> most of them were signing a petition yeah. saying, it's okay. <laughs> so when do you think Hal got like so invested in this on the side of Thelma and Louise? When he sort of has the other dude leave the room for him to sort of interrogate JD, it almost seems like this is personal with him. He's like, you robbed them, and then they were in this situation, basically blaming JD, which is true, Yeah, but it's... It seems weird that he would be taking that side of it. I don't know, Matt. Is this copaganda? <laughs> <laughs> it might just be that. Yeah. I don't know if I can watch this movie now. It's portraying cops <laughs> too positively. But he's the only cop thinking that way in this movie. No, yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, he does seem to have like a preternatural ability to understand the entire story. Yeah, yeah. Just piecing it together. I think eventually he does get the backstory on Luis, yep. which means that whatever happened in Texas, there is a record of. It was something that sure was known. I, I guess some kind of a an arrest or a trial happened. I think like the second he met Daryl, everything became clear. <laughs> Daryl is just that repugnant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was like, you know what? I get it. Right. Yeah. Well, I do think that it plays into the whole concept of Thelma and Louise being average women. Mm-hmm. He's like, these are not criminals. What happened? They wouldn't just show up at a bar and kill someone in cold blood. That's right. That doesn't even make sense. They were going to a cabin. There wasn't anything to indicate they even knew this person. So what happened that this led to 
and then they panicked. And, and basically, I mean, the waitress does sort of paint this picture of Harlan that's pretty incriminating for him, I'd say. Yeah, it's more that his level of sympathy is what is strange. Not yeah, yeah. the fact that he's able to understand what happened. It's just that he seems to care a lot. Right. JD and Daryl cross paths at the police station, which is pretty funny. When JD <laughs> realizes that this is Thelma's husband, and he basically admits to having sex with her yeah, in yeah. so many words, not quite, but implies it. And some of the motions that he's making. Daryl is trying to like get at him, and the police are holding him back. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to the biggest laugh of the movie, when Thelma calls Daryl again, and to set this scene up, the police have been repeatedly telling Daryl how he needs to be nice to her and act like he cares about her. <laughs> they even like have this sort of cynical moment of the movie where they're like, you know, women like that kind of shit. Right, you know, right. like how dumb yeah. is it that you have to be nice to your wife? <laughs> but even then, Daryl's like completely not buying it. As dumb as he seems, I think he knows that Thelma is not going to buy that. Like, right. He, he realizes he's such a shithead. Yeah, yeah. That him being nice to her is so out of character that I think he's inwardly being like, that's well, right. that's going to be a dead giveaway. And then when this doesn't work out, he's basically like, I told you. All I said was hello. Hello. Daryl, it's me. Thelma, hello. He knows. So Thelma calls Daryl and... The whole time, Luis is like, if you're suspicious, if you think the cops are there, just hang up. Just hang up immediately. <laughs> Thelma, Daryl, it's me. Daryl says, Thelma, hello. Click. <laughs> he knows. Unbelievable how yeah. funny that is. She could just tell from the tone of his voice that it wasn't him because she knows <laughs> that he would just be yelling at her be, immediately. What the fuck are you doing? Why aren't you back yet? I told you you had to be home days ago. Yeah. Oh, God, just so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Thelma, hello. Luis then calls back and asks to talk to Hal, and they have a pretty immediate connection and rapport. I think we'll talk a little bit more about that the second time they communicate, but this is where a lot of Hal's empathy is conveyed, but it goes even further the next time. Thanks to JD, the police know where the women are going now, so Thelma just dropping the ball left and right yeah really which louis points out yeah but thelma's defense could be that was a different thelma that's true yeah i wouldn't do that now now. right (laughs) (laughs) one of my favorite scenes right here and i think this was something that sarandon pitched as well and it looks incredible it's just so awesome they're driving along at night it's a night drive through the Valley of the Gods in Uh Utah where those like giant rock formations are I don't know where they get off trying to say that this is New Mexico but whatever I mean there's only (laughs) one state in the Union that looks like this and it's Utah yeah but it looks so cool at night they're the only car and then the Ballad of Lucy Jordan by Marianne Faithful starts playing Uh I'm just like this scene is so fucking cool I know that part is sweet looks awesome they pull off on the side of the road and Luis gets out and like walks away from the car, and it's just like the big open sky. I know. Eventually, it, it continues on. The rest of the movie from here, most of the shots are pretty cool. Yeah, like, and then the, the driving the shots. sunrise right. in this area of the country, it just looks so good. Yeah, mm-hmm. you get 
that real like widescreen cinematic look to all this stuff. It looks so cool. Absolutely. Yeah, I just love this little moment with the song, and then Thelma comes out and joins her standing off the side of the road and everything. It, it It's just really cool looking. Yeah, and when they're driving at night, it, it kind of stands apart from the rest of the movie because most of the driving is during the day. Yeah. Thelma, while laughing about what happened with Harlan, possibly on the verge of cracking up, <laughs> tries to ask Luis if what happened with Harlan was what happened to Luis back in Texas, speculating that she was raped. Luis once again refuses to talk about it and tells Thelma to never bring it up again. Later, they are pulled over by a New Mexico state trooper for speeding, knowing that he will soon discover that they are wanted women. Uh Thelma holds him at gunpoint and locks him into the trunk of his car. Another great way in which it's shot, though, like the reveal, because he basically takes Luis, who we all kind of like think of as the badass... Yeah. Um, into the car, just leaving her there, and she's just completely off screen and then just shows up, gun on the officer. Yeah, it is a complete metamorphosis now for Thelma. Mm-hmm. Even Luis is stunned. Luis is kind of panicking, I think. I, I think she realizes that this is about to blow up. Because as soon as he calls in their car, it's a yeah, pretty distinctive right. car. I think <laughs> that it's all going to come crashing down. And there's just no hesitation from Thelma. She comes out of the car, has the gun on him. If one of them's going to do like the dumb thing, up to this point, it's been Thelma. But when Thelma tells Luis to shoot the radio, <laughs> yeah, Luis shoots the FM radio, not the police radio. <laughs> yeah. It's a cool moment. The actor here starts crying, which I guess was that guy's decision to to go for that to make his character stand out more and they make him get in the trunk and okay. everything and take it, his gun it was it stands out because he is very stoic at first yeah so it's a pretty dramatic change they put bullet holes in the trunk first so that he has something to breathe out yeah <laughs> and they leave him there and then decide to change course again rather than head south to Mexico and just keep going west to get out of New Mexico as fast as possible because they feel like they're drawing more attention to themselves by doing this thing with the state trooper, which I guess on the surface makes sense. It ends up backfiring, though, because they're still in the sweet spot of not having their location pinned down yet. Right. So in reality, they just need to get to Mexico as soon as possible. But they're delaying it further, and then they make a big mistake later, not realizing that their call is going to be traced and everything is going to get fucked up. But at this point, you have to remember that Hal and and the other authorities, the police, the FBI, they don't really know where they are exactly. Yeah. So it actually would have probably made more sense to just keep going south try to get out of the country as fast as possible yes but they make another decision they head west Luis calls again to speak with Hal not really sure why not really being mindful of the time yeah this also sort of goes along with her leaving the money at the motel with Thelma there's really no reason for her to call Hal again right I don't know why nothing is accomplished on her end from doing this and it is basically what leads to their demise essentially yeah i guess maybe she's just unable to cope with what's going on without getting a sense of what's happening like she wants to know if they're close to being caught or 
trying to get a read on the situation. That's true. He empathizes once again, and I do want to point out that I, I think that Hal is genuine. I think so, too. I don't think there's any indication otherwise, especially the end of the film. Yeah, I mean, he runs in front of, like, a line of guns, basically. Hello, Louise. Hey. How are things going out there? Weird. We got some kind of a snowball effect happening here or something. You're still with us, though. Mm-hmm. You're somewhere on the face of the earth. Well, we're not in the middle of nowhere, but we can see it from here. <laughs> I swear. Louise, I almost feel like I know you. Well, you don't. You're getting in deeper every moment you're gone. Would you believe me if I told you this whole thing was an accident? I do believe you. That's what I want everybody to believe. Trouble is, it doesn't look like an accident. And you're not here to tell me about it. I need your help here. Did Harlan Puckett... I don't want to talk about it. You want to come on in? Don't think so. Then I'm sorry. We're going to have to charge you with murder. Now, do you want to come out of this alive? You know, certain words and phrases just keep drifting through my mind. Things like incarceration, cavity search, death by electrocution, life imprisonment, shit like that. You know what I'm saying? So do I want to come out alive? <laughs> I don't know why. I think we're gonna have to think about that. Louise, I'll do anything. I know what's making you run. I know what happened to you in Texas. Well, Louise, don't blow it. You got it. Give it to me. He knows what happened to her in Texas, indicating that there's some official record that he was able to see. He begs them to come in so that they can get out of this alive. Ultimately, Hal is unsuccessful in his attempts to persuade her to surrender, but the FBI gets a trace on the phone call allowing the authorities to zero in on their location. I guess something that Luis was not considering. I really don't know a lot about how long that stuff took back in 1991 or what the methods were and all that stuff. But I was just taking it where before when she was like, if you think the cops are there, just hang up. It was to avoid something like this. Yeah, I did initially too. But the more I thought about it, I was like, she doesn't trust Thelma. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She thinks Thelma's going to say something (laughs) that had to be more of what it was about because she calls and talks to the cops several times. That's right. This is another great scene. If I was ranking my favorite scenes, okay, obviously the scene that I rewound of her <laughs> number one talking to. Well, I'm not saying number one, but yeah. just one of them. Okay. That one where she hangs up on Daryl immediately. Right. The night drive through the Valley of the Gods in Utah, and this scene mm-hmm. when they come out of that store, and Thelma tells Louise that she understands if she wants to go back home, knowing she is a decent man and Jimmy waiting for her. In other words. If there's some kind of a deal that you're being offered, like I get it, you have something to go back for, even though Luis is the, the one, one that, that actually shot committed Harlan. murder. But Thelma says she can't go back no matter what. Right, which is great. She's like, I don't know. Something's crossed over in me. I can't go back. I just couldn't live. And it's like such a great moment that I was like almost like choked and up. You totally it. get it. 
You just wish you could have a metamorphosis like this. I know. I need to stop being such a beaten down housewife and get out there and shine. I can't go back to my apartment in my Blu-rays. Before everything comes to a head and and wraps up, and we're obviously going to spend a lot of time on the ending here in a minute, we have one little last hurrah of fun for these two ladies. One more misogynist pig to (laughs) cut down to size. They've been interacting with this truck driver, a a foul-mouthed, obscene guy they've encountered twice before. Right. He's got the silhouette of the busty girl on his mud flaps on his truck, a logo that is still very common. On trucks in particular. Yeah, still like over Um, 30 years later, something that you still see everywhere. It's great what plays out with this guy because he's just such an insufferable douche. I do think you could cut out everything with this guy in this movie accomplishes everything that it set out to. And it's great. Still, like, I don't think you really need any of this stuff, but it is kind of just a bonus yeah, I think it's to give them one more little win. Yeah. Before the whole thing ends for them. But I guess it, it gives you another scene of a post metamorphosis Thelma. Yeah, and I think it's also to just show you what it's like. Right. How this stuff never ends. That's true. Yeah. For women, that it's always a constant thing happening. I don't want to put ourselves over too much Please. as being like great guys, yeah. but like I don't know, you see this stuff and I know it's real. And I've seen other guys act like this. Yeah. But I can't imagine ever doing shit like this. No, it me neither. It is insane <laughs> how people behave. It is wild. I, yeah, it's so far from my reality. Like, I, I just would be afraid. Not that I would want to do this, but I would be afraid to do it even if I did want to. You know what I mean? I yeah. Just, it just, I don't know. It, I don't really interact with strangers. <laughs> I can remember being a kid and like walking down the street and I know this isn't the same thing, but when high school kids or whatever, like roll down their window and like yell things just because they're like driving by someone. And I'd be like, I fucking hate those people. I would never do something like that. It just seems so insane that people act like this. He's like grabbing his crotch, like flicking his tongue at them. And so they trick him into thinking that they're down for it, which is so crazy. But I guess like guys like this, this insane they think that this is what women want and how to pick up chicks or, or what have you. And they drive to some little deserted area and he follows them thinking that he, I guess he's going to fuck two hot women. I don't yeah, understand I would be what like, he thinks is going to happen. I'm definitely being killed. That's what I would be thinking. So he gets out of his truck and he comes over to the car and he's all like excited. He, it's like this little dude. And they basically start laying into him like i can't believe you would act like this and and he doesn't understand what's happening at first he like doesn't get it and then they're (laughs) like no you have to apologize they're demanding an apology and then it escalates to demanding an apology at gunpoint which he still refuses to apologize right which is insane so they fire at his fuel tanker causing it to explode (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah this part's a little silly probably I get it. It's yeah, cool. It's I do think that a tanker that big, it seems like the explosion, like they're not far enough away. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I would be worried about that. But I guess they don't really care anymore. Yeah. And I'm just imagining him trying to explain what happened. <laughs> and you know, it would be like, these two fucking bitches. Yeah. And he did nothing wrong. And But if I was being led by like these two women to this deserted place, I would be like, Bradley Cooper in Place Beyond the Pines when like Ray Liotta's taking him out to the woods. I just like slam in reverse. <laughs> it's a mistake. 
yeah, well, this is how not seriously of a threat women were, I guess, to, to men like this. Well, and they showed him. I love when Thelma's like doing her voice, you know, her southern accent. And she's like, I bet, I bet you called us beavers on the radio. I hate that. I hate being <laughs> called a beaver. <laughs> we had another thing that I just can't imagine calling a woman a beaver. <laughs> oh, come on, Matt. <laughs> Don't lie. I just, I'm probably derogatory terms in my lifetime, but beaver was not one of them. I got to tell you. I know chick isn't always like the most smiled upon term. Yeah, I know. there's probably some people who are like, how are they doing this feminist movie while also still saying pick up chicks? And... Yeah, I know. The duality of man. Yeah. <laughs> hey, not claiming to be perfect, but claiming to not be this truck driver. Yeah, that's true. Where are you going? Fresno. We've been seeing you all over the place. Why don't you take off those shades? I want to see your eyes. Yeah, I've been seeing you, too. Yeah, we think you have really bad manners. <laughs> yeah, where do you get off behaving like that with women you don't even know? Huh? <laughs> huh? How'd you feel if somebody did that to your mother? Or your sister? Or your wife? Huh? What are you talking about? You know good and damn well what I'm talking about. I mean, really? That business with your tongue? What is that? That is disgusting. And oh, my God, that other shit of pointing to your lap. I mean, what is that supposed to mean exactly, huh? I mean, does that mean pull over? I want to show you what a big, fat slob I am? Yeah, or does that a... mean suck my dick? You women crazy. You got that right. We think you should apologize. I ain't apologizing for shit. You say you're sorry. Fuck that. You say you're sorry, or I'm gonna make you fucking sorry. Oh, Jesus. I bet you even called us beavers on your CB radio, didn't you? Yeah, sure did. Damn, I hate that. I hate being called a beaver, don't you? You gonna apologize or what? Fuck you! I don't think he's gonna apologize. Nah, I don't think so. I don't really think I would I would fit in as any of the men in this movie. Yeah. The closest is probably Jimmy, but nowhere near as like cool yeah. or good looking <laughs> as like a prime Michael Madsen. Right. You're more like Michael Madsen now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they drive away from this scenario and and we head into the End of the film, which I put as like its own little subheading as if this was in Glorious Bastards and we have chapters that are underlined. Right. I just wrote the end of the film yeah. underlined. Okay, I'm in. So these scenes were actually filmed in Utah, just south of Dead Horse Point State Park, not actually at the Grand Canyon, although it is pretty convincing. You you do buy it. Right. I don't really think it matters, but just so people know, the authorities have found them 
And eventually it, it leads to an off-road chase that goes on for a little while through the desert dirt until Thelma and Luis are finally cornered only 100 yards from the Grand Canyon itself. They actually almost drive over it and then back up. But there's a lot to get to here. So the buildup is awesome, and there's a lot of cool parts to it. First is like the little off-road chase. They right. are driving through people's yards, but Which there's is, no grass. It's, yeah, I was going to say, it's just whatever you call someone's yard when it's just sand. Yeah, it's like a real wasteland, badlandsy right. type area. And there's that cool moment where they just fit underneath that little railroad track Which bridge thing. Which just seems so unlikely that they're finding this very specific <laughs> <laughs> obstacle that only the convertible can conveniently really fit through. Yeah, although it's it's not like it's a huge plot point. No, it, just, no. it buys them a couple of minutes right. to have before the end of the film. Yeah, there's a huge... Big time police presence pursuing them. I would say that there's almost like a a strange calmness that comes over the two women. Where at this point in the game, they seem to know that it's over. And yeah. that almost frees them more. There's an acceptance. Yeah, they're not panicking anymore. It's just this is what is happening now. And that's how far they've come in this journey. Yeah. And the it change is, that they've gone through. It is wild, though, to just go back to like, man, I was just trying to order a beer and a shot in this like honky tonk bar and now like this is what our life has become in a matter of days yeah because you have to examine the whole thought process Luis didn't want to go at first to the bar but she changes her mind because she realizes that her friend never gets to do stuff like that right and that's sort of what Thelma was putting out there and why she wanted to stop was because she never gets to go anywhere she even said I've never really left town without daryl before Oof. they go to this place and then they encounter this guy who happens to be the wrong guy mm-hmm. obviously there's a chance that you're always gonna encounter a bad guy but not this bad and things take a real dark turn when he's trying to rape her over the hood of a car oh sure and now everything is fucked and they just keep going further down this road and now they're at the edge of the grand canyon it's so yeah. fucking crazy although it is one of those things and it's not the first movie to do this, or not the only movie to do a move like this, but the fact that there is no more road and they're about to go into like this huge cavernous valley or whatever, as if that's some surprise, like you can't see ahead of you. Well, the first time they almost drive over the edge, they're like almost going upwards, so they wouldn't okay. really be able to see what's over the hill kind of a thing. It's not a hill, but yeah. it's, it's an ascent, so they can't quite see... Although, at first, they're on a road, right? And then they're off the road. They're going on and off roads here. Yeah, well, there is this moment. I wanted to point out it. It's a faraway shot of them driving along the edge of a canyon Uh with the dirt billowing up behind them. Yep. And it's, like, really cool looking. The dirt is in their wake. It's this big cinematic widescreen shot, and then the camera pans over to mm-hmm. the left, and then that helicopter comes around the bend. Yeah, because you kind of think they're free of the most recent pursuit. The helicopter's like coming from below, which yeah, is yeah. cool, because it's down in the canyon. As Hans Zimmer's score swells like something out of another Ridley Scott film, Blade Runner. It sounds very Blade Runner-y uh-huh. for a minute. And it's just so epic looking and cool. And it, it takes the whole experience to like another level Absolutely. that you weren't even experiencing yet. Right. Hal arrives on the scene. He's in the helicopter. 
and he gets out and basically the whole police presence is behind them and they're sort of cornered right at the edge here. But Hal is refused by Max the last chance to talk the women into surrendering. So rather than be captured and spend the rest of their lives in jail or be executed, Thelma proposes that they keep going. Luis confirms she's serious. They kiss, <laughs> hold hands, and Luis steps on the gas. They accelerate over the cliff as Hal desperately pursues on foot. Uh-huh. And the film ends on a freeze frame of the car flying through the air. And it's really cool because it's actually like barely in the air, really. It hasn't gone very far before it hits the freeze frame. Yeah, it's not speed. It's not going <laughs> upwards. It no. pretty much goes straight down, which right, is what right. cars really do. But I'm do. just saying, however many beats it takes to get to death, we're not that far into the trajectory. Yeah, I think that was a conscious decision. They wanted yeah. to make it seem like it ends before they actually die, that they're flying through the air. They do start to descend a little bit. Sure, but yeah. Yeah, it definitely captures that moment pretty quickly I repeat turn your engine off and place your hands in plain view what are you doing I'm not giving up Max you gotta do something how many times Max how many times did we gonna be fucked over hey listen will you pull yourself together now listen to me you calm down don't make me sorry I brought you So it was Susan Sarandon's idea to kiss, and look, there's plenty of queer readings of this text. It's mm -hmm. not okay. particularly obscured. I was reading different people's interpretations into this as a lesbian story or, or a queer reading of the, of the text, and it's all there. It's definitely there. Sure. They do layer the story with a lot of heterosexual or as they say, heteronormative type okay. things with the JD and the fact that she's married and that Luis is in a relationship with a man as well. And I get that. 
especially in 91, you're going to put that stuff in there. Right. My whole thing was I have zero problem with that reading. It doesn't really matter one way or the other to me. I, I just think that sometimes when people go down that path, they tend to make it all about that. And I get why. Yeah. Because in 1991, you're not really going to get a lot of those kind of stories, so people will fixate on it if that's what they're looking for. Sure. But I think of this as so much a gender thing that who Thelma and Louise want to sleep with doesn't really matter to me. Uh, I would agree. If you want to read into it sort of a, a gay love story, that is totally fine. If you want to take it at face value and see all of the heterosexual desires in the film as being completely real and on the up and up, then that's fine too. Because I wasn't really taking it to be much of a romantic kiss. Well, it's not just the kiss. Yeah, okay. I, I just right. decided this was the right time to sure. bring it okay. up. Sure, okay, yes, yeah. Yeah, th- there's no tongue or anything, but... <laughs> It's, it's not cruel like intentions. yeah, it's not like cruel intentions. <laughs> they actually just act out that whole scene right before they drive off the cliff. I'm gonna put my tongue in your mouth, <laughs> and I want you to massage my tongue with your tongue. <laughs> and that's what first base is. <laughs> Thumb was like, cool. <laughs> okay. No, I just wanted to address it. I didn't yeah, want yeah. A, the whole episode to go by. And sure. It, it's definitely an elephant in the room with this movie because a lot of people point that out. I Understood. just think that. That's fine, and oh, yeah. I think that people can write that stuff. I just think that this is such a gender-specific story that the sexuality of the characters is almost irrelevant compared to that. I would agree. It Gay, straight, be secondary, bisexual, whatever. These women are put into this scenario because of the male-dominated world. Sure, But if you want to go down that path, it's it's definitely there as well. So there's a lot to take away from this scene. There was an alternative idea that Ridley Scott was weighing, which would have been Thelma getting pushed out of the car by Luis at the last second and her surviving. There was also an extended version of this scene shot where you actually see the car crash down. They elected not to use that and end more on this last freeze frame moment. See, I would only like Luis saving Thelma if it's like the first half of the movie. By this point, version of Thelma that's not the right move yeah I would agree with that I do think that that would have sort of cheapened the ending even at any point I think that it needs to be the way that it is of course the studio would have preferred something not so downbeat but they really could not come up with anything else so they allowed it to happen and of course the studios always swing and miss on this type of stuff because as I said this ending is so iconic you don't even need to see the movie to know what it is yeah but I basically feel like the ending is triumphant in its own way anyway. That it doesn't Absolutely. need to be more upbeat. They've taken control of their situation and their lives. Yes. And that is essentially what the movie ends up being about. Right. I think it's a great ending. I think it's a great film. I think it's one of Ridley Scott's best. It's definitely one of the iconic films of the 90s. Absolutely. As you said... There's a handful of these movies that just got referenced in things throughout the 90s. This is definitely one of them. And I don't know what percentage of our regular listeners have seen the film, but I would highly recommend it if you've made it this far and yet have not seen the film. I'm willing to admit that I had not seen it before last year. I was familiar with it, kind of, and I knew the ending, but I finally made the commitment to sit down and watch it. And right after I watched it, I went out and 
bought the Blu-ray. Right. <laughs> I was like, well, I got to buy this Blu-ray. This movie's awesome. Yeah, I hadn't seen it in years. Obviously, like I said, I watched it for the first time in college, but it wasn't something that I was revisiting regularly. And like I said, on this viewing, I was like, man, this looks like amazing. Like, I remembered liking the movie, but this is like more epic, looks awesome, like a great Hans Zimmer score, and really had me considering it up there with just as good as the top Ridley Scott stuff. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. I think we can move on to recommendations. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Do you have something? You uh, did you, do we want to just do a joint for the Hulu series? Sure. Um, uh, I know you haven't watched all of the three episodes <laughs> yes, yet. But I've started it. I watched the first episode. Okay, so similarly to when I recommended Yellow Jackets a couple weeks ago, which I know from interacting with some of you that you've been checking it out and people are looking forward to that Give Us a Second, which will be coming soon, I'm going to recommend the new Hulu series, Pam and Tommy, about Pamela Anderson, Tommy Lee, and the sex tape from the mid-90s that sort of gave birth to the internet. Sure. <laughs> I don't know if you would say that, but it definitely amplified what was possible from the internet. Absolutely. <laughs> and it was one of the pop culture touchstones of the 1990s. Which it does seem like most of those were sexual in nature. Every time we're talking about one of those, one of the milestones of the 90s. I would say the milestones of all time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually sexual yeah. in nature in some way. Three episodes have dropped. I think they're going to premiere new episodes on... Wednesdays, although sometimes with Hulu, they'll do three right out of the gate to try to get people hooked, which is not a bad strategy if you don't want to release it all at once, because then you're really hooked after three. Yeah, I like the trickle out in some form. It's only going to be eight episodes, I believe, so there'll be five more weeks of it. The reason why I'm comparing it to when I recommended Yellow Jackets is that we are going to do a future give us a second on Pam and Tommy. We'll probably do it after Yellow Jackets, because hopefully we'll be doing that one soon. Did we know that before it ever even aired? I feel like we had yes, to know. I threw that out there yeah. that we probably would be. And so that's interesting, because a lot of the subject matters that we choose to cover on this show are things that we already like. And Pam and Tommy, I'm not 100% sure how I'm going to feel about it by the end. Yeah. And I want to discuss it anyway, because I think there's so much to talk about. Well, and just... As you say, like the connection back to its real life event well, and yeah, how yeah, significant yeah. that you just know that there's going to be stuff to talk about. Yeah, it was for our younger listeners out there. I know we have some that are younger than us, so they might not have been alive or old enough to remember all of this stuff. But I can vividly remember the whole Pamela Anderson phenomenon going on and then this tape coming out. And it's sort of hard to even quantify how big of a star she was because it was in a mode of stardom that really wouldn't exist now because yes. of the internet in a right, weird way. Right. But she was such a sex symbol at the time. And the first three episodes were directed by Craig Galipsy, who directed I, Tanya, which is a movie that I liked a lot. Absolutely. And I would say that the show so far has been in that style. I have heard that after the first three episodes, there was sort of a tonal shift to the whole thing that is potentially going to make us feel guilty for enjoying the first three episodes. Okay. 
but I am curious to see how they keep it going for five more. So check it out on Hulu because I don't want to talk about it too much. Right. Because the plan going forward for this show, I think, will be mostly TV on the Give Us a Seconds. I don't know if we're going to do regular episodes for Uh TV shows anymore because of a million reasons. But the reason why we're revealing Yellow Jackets and Pam and Tommy is to not only get you to watch it so that you'll be interested in the Give Us a Second, but... Let's be honest, there is a noticeable difference usually in the downloads of our Give Us a Seconds. <laughs> yeah. We want you to listen to those too. I don't know if people think that they're completely different from the regular show. Although the Seinfeld ones always do well. Yeah, the Seinfeld ones have been doing pretty well. But in general, for some reason, I think people think that it's something different right. than just us talking. Yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> they're still good. They I, just have a different I'd little name. I'd love to understand people's mindset when... They see give us a second. They're like, I'm just gonna skip this one. Yeah, they don't want to hear our top fives of the year or anything like <laughs> well, that. Well, that I'm okay with that. <laughs> but if it's like a topic that we're regularly covering in a give us a second format, it's surprising to me that people are like, Nah, that's a pass for me. <laughs> no thanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who do these people think they are? They're doing mini shows of their show that barely anyone <laughs> yeah. cares about. <laughs> But yeah, I'm hoping to generate a little bit of interest and also to give people a heads up so that they can check out Yellow Jackets and Pam and Tommy. So if you have Showtime, watch Yellow Jackets. That'll be coming soon. Matt has finally dove in, so That's hopefully right. we'll get there. And yeah. then Pam and Tommy is on Hulu, stars Lily James as Pamela Anderson, which Just, I remember when that casting announcement happened, I was like, what? I know. <laughs> Just an insane transformation. Yeah, and she looks a lot... Like Pamela Anderson, yeah, yeah, and it's good. Sebastian Stan is nowhere near as tall as Tommy Lee, but he does look like him. He's got a good look for it. Yeah. Seth Rogen and Nick Offerman are also a part of the show, but we'll save our thoughts on all of that stuff for when we eventually get to it. So that'll probably come yeah. more towards the end of March. Lots to dig into there, though, for sure. I think uh, it should make for a good give us a second. I, I could do it now based on the first three. <laughs> we but, did like a version of it before the show. Yeah, I think there's a lot more to talk about. But the real life aspect of it adds a lot. For sure. Yeah, and we can definitely maybe discuss I, Tanya a little bit when we talk about it too. Because I, I kind of doubt we're ever going to do I, Tanya as like Probably its own not. episode. Yeah. So you know, we'll get into that and the whole thing of this almost like tabloid sensationalist biopic style that Craig Gillespie has sort of brought to us here right. with these things and how that feels and what we're supposed to make of it. And it there's a lot. I think there's a lot to say about Pam and Tommy already after three episodes. Yeah. All right, so check that out on Hulu. Check out Yellow Jackets on Showtime. You can check out Thelma and Louise on HBO Max, which I would highly recommend if mm-hmm. you have not. I would also recommend following us on Twitter, at GreatestPod. Hit us up. Let us know what you think of Yellow Jackets or Pam and Tommy or Thelma and Louise. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Podbean or wherever you get podcasts that we are available. Give us a rating and review if you get a chance on Apple Podcasts. We love to read those. Yeah, we'd love to see a few more ratings out there, really. Yeah, well, reviews specifically. Yeah, I know, but I would, settle for, I would settle for ratings. Yeah, I would settle for it. But... Yeah, yeah. Okay, leave us a review. <laughs> Let us know if you'd like a sticker. Haven't really been moving as many lately, but that's okay. We need to make them last. Yeah. If you have a listener request, our ears are open, but just know that it may take a little bit of time before we get to it. 
If you submitted one for 2022, be prepared to wait a while <laughs> because they are spread out over the rest of the year in case you weren't sure so about that. If you're really interested, you're just going to have to stick it out with us. Yeah, that's our whole hook with listener requests yeah. is to make you wait. That way we keep our listeners. Right, right. <laughs> and finally, find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, Matt Crosby. You know, one thing that I find odd about Letterboxd is when they do put on these limited miniseries as if they're like one long movie, like Pam and Tommy is on there. Yeah, yeah, I know. And people are already logging it, and they'll say in their review that they have watched the first three episodes. And I will log Pam and Tommy, but only when I watch the entire thing. Well, the whole thing about what outside of movies constitutes it's something that's on there as I know reviewable. Like I, I haven't figured out that whole logic yet. Neither have I, but yeah. Pam and Tommy, there will definitely not be a season two. Right. Right. So I get it. It's just like a long movie in a way. Okay. But my problem is people who are willing to log it when they've only watched three episodes. Yeah, I know. Well, cause everyone is in a rush to like be the first. I know it's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> God forbid you get access to like the Sundance movies or something, and then you see those people falling all oh, over themselves to log them. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even have like real posters yet. Right. Oh, it's so annoying. <laughs> yeah. Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> yeah. Letterboxd brings with it its own little annoyances and dramas. And <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I saw you became a patron. I did finally. Yeah. Annoying. Like, you know what? <laughs> it's time to step it up. Okay, folks, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week with what I would consider to be a special Valentine's Day episode, oh. although it's not coming on Valentine's Day, yeah. so relax. It'll be the <laughs> usual day. All right.
to talk about your pubes, Sarah. Oh, I'm sorry. Does the bush stuff make you uncomfortable? I, mean, I don't know, a little. I... Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> this just in, <laughs> local female body inspector Colin Jost, which is his female co-worker, had hairless genitals like a blow-up doll. Now back to you, Colin. <laughs> That's not, I don't care about your body hair. Wow, Colin, careful how you talk about my body. I'm basically your son's age. So you're like six months old? You wish, sicko. You'd kill to change my diaper, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh my God, Sarah, that's disgusting. 